Well, once again, good evening. So let me pray and then we're going to read the word again and then we're going to dive in to the study. So Lord, again, we just pray, committing this time to you, praying uh, for the usefulness of your word uh, in our lives and Lord, also in our walk with you, that there would be that real sense of, of assurance as we look to your word, remembering again just that blessing of your spirit at work within us, witnessing with our spirit that we are as your children and you, our Father. Bless this time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the passage tonight is 1 John chapter 3, verse 19 to verse 24, but I'm going to read from verse 16, just so that we can pick up on the context. So John writes, by this, we, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how can God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Then from verse 19, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given. Just so far, uh, the reading of God's word. So just to uh, introduce the topic tonight, and just to see something of the, the context of, of what can be addressed, I want to quote uh, a verse from the hymn by Charlotte Elliott. Uh, just as I am, and then she expresses something of what she's feeling or experiencing at times, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings and fears within, without, O Lamb of God, I come. Now, having shared that verse to ask the question, do, do you find yourself identifying with the words of the hymn writer? Do they express the reality of your walk with God, sometimes tossed about, sometimes conflict that you feel within you, sometimes doubting, sometimes fearing uh, what goes on inside of you and, and even that which happens outside of you? Well, the psalmist often wrote of these different uh, battles and, and emotions and doubts and, and fears. And just to give you some example or a sample of verses from various psalms, well-known Psalm 42, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Psalm 51, uh, David, verse 3, uh, referring back to his sin with Bathsheba, I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Well, Psalm 55, verse 4, my heart is in anguish, anguish within me. The terrors of death assail me. Psalm 73, verse 13, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. And Psalm 102, verse 1, hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I am in distress. Now we do experience different 
reaction or we react to different things in that we we feel we we have emotions we 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 are conflicted we 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 are disturbed and 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 the psalmist expresses some of those uh, life situations but but what i want to get to tonight in this introduction is these life situations these experiences lead us believers or can lead us believers to a place where you can become uncertain about your salvation uncertainty am i a believer uh, Am I not a believer? And so at times like these, when we go through these kind of emotions and we're feeling uncertain about our faith, uh, your heart speaks to you. Your heart speaks to you and, and reminds you of your shortcomings and your failures and you're constantly hearing these messages from within uh, condemning you. Messages of condemnation uh, from yourself uh, to yourself. You find yourself pointing a finger at yourself. And, and in that process, if you had been at peace, uh, feeling a sense of assurance, experiencing assurance, you suddenly find yourself in a place where that assurance, that peaceful assurance has been disturbed. You may even think, worst case scenario, am I actually a believer? Uh, am I amongst uh, those who are lost, or am I amongst those who are still under condemnation? A- am I someone who is without hope and, and without God? And so my first point this evening, and I don't have an outline for you, unfortunately, is I don't have, a, I don't have an operator tonight. And, and so we're going to have to just depend on what I'm saying. Your, 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 my first point is there are times when your heart uh, can be disturbed in the presence of God. Your heart disturbed in his presence. So John John does say in this passage that there are times that the Christian's assurance can be disturbed or disrupted. And as doubt so easily creeps in and and robs you or robs me of of, of some kind of assurance, some kind of godly assurance or confidence. And and so he says there are times in verse 20 our hearts condemn us. How do we interpret that? What is he saying? You will from time to time experience what I want to call tonight accusations of conscience. Conscience within you uh, points a finger at you. The accusations of conscience, we know on the one hand, can be true. There may well be reason why your conscience is pricked, why your conscience points fingers and, and, and places you in a position or in a place of being disturbed. There could indeed be legitimate, uh, a legitimate working of the Spirit. That, that's what it is, working through your conscience, uh, convicting you. Uh, and, and so uh, having present unresolved sin uh, certainly could be a reason for the conscience that is stirred within you. But it is also true to say that accusations of conscience are sometimes false. These false accusations of condemnation can be inspired by what John calls in Revelation 12 verse 10, the accuser of the brothers. Satan makes it his business to keep bringing matters of sin already resolved, but constantly bringing it to the fore wanting us to feel uh, condemned and uh, 
not have any assurance before God. So God's concern in this passage through John is that either way, whether the conscience is legitimately stirred or whether those accusations are false, this inner voice of self-criticism or self-condemnation must not be allowed to destroy you. We are rather, as he says in verse 19, uh, be to set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. In other words, don't stay there. Don't leave it there. Deal with it. Set your heart at peace uh, uh, in his presence or at rest. And so what he's really saying is there's no need to continually struggle with lack of assurance, uh, assurance or anxiety of doubt even when the pointing finger of your heart condemns you. Now, verse 19 and 20, he, he gives us some, an indication, and we're going to look at that. Okay, how, how, do, we, how do we proceed in the midst of, of these uh, issues of conscience that are coming to the fore? Well, he says, this then is how we know, verse 19, we belong to the truth, and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. Well, we have to go to the previous verses, which is why I read them. And in other words, he's pointing us to the tests, one of the particular tests, uh, the objective tests to see whether we are in the faith or not. So this then, referring back to verse 18, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is, this then is how, and it goes on, how you can uh, know that you belong uh, to the truth. And so it's the relational test. It's, it's, it's the test of, of loving our brothers and sisters. It's, it's the final of the three objective tests of faith that John has outlined in, in his letter. And, and, and again, I need to say it's not love in a general sense where love is expressed because uh, as in the world, it is a mutual and, and, and selfish benefit. The test that we must apply is one that requires evidence of love in the sense of self-sacrifice, uh, which is not natural. Remember, we looked at that in the last study. Uh, it's, it's not natural uh, to any of us in our fallen state, but uh, comes about when we are born again, when we are made alive in Christ and something of the love of God impacts our lives so that we in turn can show that love to, to others. And so the sacrificial love in any person that, that uh, John is referring to here is evidence of the new birth. It's evidence that, yes, you are a believer. In spite of what your conscience might be saying to you at a particular point in time, place yourself and measure yourself against the test. Evidence of this kind of love uh, is, is uh, tangible in that it's seen in action. And, and so as you look back in your life, as I look back in my life, there ought to be actual acts of self-sacrifice that you are showing uh, to others. Uh, not things that you're merely saying or, or uh, felt you would like to do or ought to do, but, but, but things that you've actually done proving this love in action. So that's uh, uh, the first way of, of uh, dealing with this thing of, of finding rest uh, in the presence of God. The second uh, aspect that he addresses over here I've called appealing to God's knowledge. So the, the, the mind-boggling truth over here is whatever your heart 
may say to you in accusation and condemnation, we need to remember that our knowledge is not always accurate. Our knowledge certainly is is limited. Uh, God knows better. God's knowledge is, in fact, uh, all-knowing. He is omniscient. He's all-knowing. And so John says in verse 20, chapter 3, verse 20, For God is greater than our hearts, and He knows everything. So if anybody does know the condition of your heart, God does. God knows. So the amazing thing is, God knows us so completely, and, and in spite of this, knowing uh, all of what goes on and has gone in our hearts in the past and even in the present, He still shows mercy toward us as His children. And so there's a real sense in which John is saying, yeah, don't allow the omniscience of God to scare you, but rather to relieve you. Because as Paul says in Romans 8 verse 33, if you are a believer and, and, and the conscience uh, is, is pointing fingers at you falsely and you, are, you, you have come to faith, you have been born again, then, then what, what Paul says in chapter 8 and verse 33 of Romans applies. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life at the right hand of God and interceding uh, for us. And so we find uh, peace, we find our rest in the presence of God because we know that we are forgiven, that we've been justified, that God declares us to be righteous, that God knows, and, and therefore any other charge does not stand because He has in fact dealt with that uh, through the atoning work of His Son. But I want to move on now. And, and look at this uh, next aspect of the, the passage where he, he speaks, and I want to uh, raise this under the heading, your heart at rest in his presence. So it is concerning, and uh, the condemning heart of self-criticism, as we've been speaking about, can be a real challenge, and, and we need to address it. But on the other hand, and that's where we're going to go now in these next few minutes, for those who constantly set their hearts at rest in His presence, you have assurance of faith. You're living uh, even subjectively uh, at peace and in peace with God. And John unfolds some wonderful benefits. And, and for the believers uh, out there, those of you who are believers, uh, let's have a look at some of these benefits of the heart at rest uh, in the presence of God. First of all, there's a benefit in your approach to God. So we've had various dogs over the years, and I do remember on one occasion, we, Carol and I were living in a little house when, when we were first married, and uh, we invited some people over and produced this lovely roast, I think it was a leg of lamb, and uh, put it all on the table. Uh, we didn't. We didn't have a dining room. We we just had a kitchen and, and a lounge. So we we put all the food on the on the kitchen table. Uh, our guests helped themselves. We helped ourselves. We went into the lounge and offered some seconds. A little bit later, and went back into the kitchen, and the leg of lamb was gone. And I just looked down, and I could see the guilt all over the face of our dog. Just guilty, absolutely guilty. 
And, and, and so unlike the guilty dog that steals the leg of lamb off the table, we believers who have our hearts at rest with God never need to cower in shame and fear before God. No, no need, no need. We dealt with that last week. Verse 21, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Can be translated, we have confidence toward God. So it's, it's, it's not confidence, blind confidence or, or confidence without any kind of basis. It's confidence of our standing before God uh, in the light of the gospel, in the light of what Jesus has done, in the light of our, our, our being justified. And so therefore the point is the benefit is we have access to God. We, we can talk to him, uh, a confidence by which we can turn trustingly toward him. It is confidence, in other words, to pray. It can be likened to, and I, I quote an old author here by the name of Westcott, he says, it can be likened to the boldness with which the Son appears before the Father and not that which the accused appears before the judge. Great benefit when we are at peace with God. Well, there's another benefit, and, and this verse is quite a tricky verse, uh, sometimes uh, misunderstood and uh, uh, it's a benefit in receiving answers to prayer. Verse 22, and receive from him anything we ask. Well, in out of context, that verse is definitely very often abused. So we, we can't just pass by this statement without giving it some attention and some thought. It's a wonderful statement. It's an incredible statement. And it's a claim here. John is saying that there is a benefit here that our prayers will be answered, uh, not just for some Christians in some instances, but for every Christian, uh, every Christian who meets certain conditions. So have a look at verse 22. So receive from him anything we ask and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. Now, John Stott explains this verse very well, and I'm going to quote him. Because we need to be thinking about what is it that John is saying about this obedience? Is, is the obedience the cause of God giving us whatever we ask? No, no. Let me tell you what John Stott says. Obedience is the indispensable condition, not the meritorious cause. I want to say that again. Obedience is the indispensable condition and not the meritorious cause of answered prayer. In other words, your prayers or my prayers are not answered as a result of us being obedient to God. Rather, rather because your life is lived in the climate and in the state of obedience and doing what pleases Him. And so to live in obedience is to conform to an external standard that, that is given in clear statements as we have in the Bible. And certainly John refers to two of them in a summary in the next verse, verse 23. This is the command to believe in the name of his son, uh, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The point is to do and to live a life that pleases him includes all the revealed commands, but, but, but also it, it goes, it, it goes uh, beyond, this, beyond this in indicating a desire to serve and please God in areas where there are no specific commands. But, but let me give an analogy. 
It would be like the attitude of a little child seeking to please his father in thoughtful ways, as well as doing all that the father has specifically commanded. And so we, we're not going to ask God for that which is contrary to his will. Because we're living a life, it, it's the condition of our lives as believers is to live in submission to him, to please him. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. Or Ephesians 5, 10, find out what pleases the Lord. And there are many verses I have jotted here, uh, down here in Colossians 1.10. We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. So when we're doing that, we're not asking God for that which indulges the sinful nature. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.1 Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you're doing or living. We ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. What Jesus did, demonstrated to us, Jesus as the incarnate Son, walking the road of sacrifice and humiliation and suffering, supreme example of pleasing God and so being heard. Uh, John 8 verse 29, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. And, and if I may say, just what comes to my mind is in the struggle, the struggle that Jesus had in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, to remove the cup. But then coming to that place, not my will be done, but your will be done. Doing what pleases the Father. Willingly, Jesus willingly, joyfully submits to the difficult will of God. He always does what pleases the Father. And consistent, consistent to uh, that which John writes in chapter 5, God promises to grant his people requests, but requests are to be according to his will. 1 John 5 verse 14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Thus to keep his commandments and to do what pleases him is the condition of being heard, the state of our, 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 our lives. Uh, obedience uh, is, is the evidence that our will and is in inward harmony with God. That's a quotation uh, as well from another author. Uh, obedience is the evidence that our will is in inward harmony with God. Well, there is another benefit, and uh, it's the third one that John refers to, and I've called it in knowing the presence of God. So godly confidence in the access that we have to our Father, uh, answered prayers, and, and now the blessing of the presence of God. It speaks here about abiding, and mutual abiding. We in Him and Him in us. The abiding comes about by the presence of the Holy Spirit and uh, the Spirit's life uh, in, in our lives as believers. So verse 24, those who obey His commands live in Him and He in them. And this is how we know that He lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gave us. See, John shows us very clearly uh, the presence of the Spirit, uh, making Himself known and objectively in terms of the unfolding life and behavior, the conduct of the believer. 
and he is one who in the spirit is the one who inspires us to confess Jesus as the Christ, the one who has come in the flesh. And God willing, we'll look at that next time. So some of us here today certainly have our hearts at rest in the presence of God. That's good. That's a blessing. It's a great place to be. And uh, the blessing of assurance. And the three benefits I spoke of as I conclude this uh, study tonight. Approaching God with confidence. Answer to your prayers. Abiding with the Holy Spirit. But some here today do and are experiencing something of a disturbed conscience. They're not at rest in the presence of God. And so apply the objective tests of faith, all three, not just the one love, apply, uh, of love and relationships. Apply the tests. And if it's necessary, you go back to the basics, uh, back to the reality of, 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 the, of the reality of, of seeking uh, to be born again, uh, believing that, that Jesus indeed is the Savior uh, of sinners, that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, repenting from your sin and turning to him in faith. And then secondly, if you are a believer, also to appeal to the knowledge of God who loves you uh, uh, in spite of being a sinner and has provided forgiveness and inclusion in his family. So we have one slide that we can show because I, uh, uh, I'm going to ask Ryan just to put, put it up uh, for you all to see. And for those who do Take the study and, and do some discussion. Please take a snapshot of these questions. Uh, they'll probably be on the screen right now. And, uh, and I do trust that you grapple with this passage and end up at a place of finding and continuing to be at a place at rest and at peace with God. And Lord, we pray to that end. May we always go back to the foot of the cross May we always, Lord, look to you and, and follow that which you give us in your word. And thank you, Lord, for the blessings, the benefits that we've even uh, spoken of yet tonight, that you do hear our prayers. We have access to you. Lord, we thank you, too, that uh, we come as those who know that in your will you do answer our prayers. We do not pray in vain. Thank you, too, Lord, that your Holy Spirit dwells with us, within us, and that we're not left as orphans. And so be gracious, have your hand upon us all, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and trust to meet together on, on Sunday on the Lord's Day. Amen.